Well, once again, we want to welcome you to the Connection Online service. We are so glad you're here. We invite you to grab your Bible, settle in, and let's dig into God's Word this morning. We've been in a series called Rhythms, and this morning we're going to talk about this, the rhythm of surrender. See, daily surrender, if we are going to follow God, it is not a matter of just attending church. It's something that we have to live every single day. As Pastor Kathleen has talked about last week, God has called us to be His people, entering into a covenant with Him. When we say yes to God and His covenant, I will be your people and you will be my God. We cannot be believers without entering into that covenant relationship. See, church cannot just be attended, it's lived. Sunday morning is just another facet, another outgrowth, another overflow of our relationship with God. Of us committing to Him, saying, I will be your people and I will do the things that you have asked me to do. See, Scripture reveals that this bilateral agreement of covenant is an agreement in which both parties are, in, are actively involved. That God is actively involved in the covenant with us and we are actively involved in the covenant with God. In simplest terms, a covenant is a form of relationship between two parties that have committed to relate to one another and agree in, in, within an agreed-upon set of ways. See, God initiated this covenant with the nation of Israel, Exodus 19.5. Now, therefore, you will indeed obey my voice, and I will keep my covenant with you. You shall be my treasured possession among the peoples, for all the earth is mine. See, God asked Israel to express their worship to him through obedience to him. And in turn, God would be, he would be their God, and he, they would be his people. But sacrifices and rituals were carried out in worship to carry more than just atonement. See, sacrifices were a continual reminder to the people that they were committed to fulfilling their agreement with God, that they would have no other gods before them. We talked about the Ten Commandments a few weeks ago in, with Pastor Kathleen. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were that continual reminder to our relationship with God. And then Jesus' sacrifice created a new covenant relationship with God that no longer needed that animal sacrifice, but instead a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him, then let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of our lips, to that acknowledge his name. See, we are now called to live a sacrifice of daily surrender to God. Luke 19, 29 says that we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and daily follow after Jesus. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 18, God says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them from by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with, those, with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 11, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they, are, they shall all know me, for the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one completely obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is all ready to vanish away. See, now in light of Jesus, the blood has been paid for. By Jesus' blood, there is no longer the need for animal sacrifices. But the commitment and dedication to God hasn't changed. That's what we've got to understand. That just because we're under a new covenant of grace, under Jesus' blood, we still have a commitment to God to fulfill the new covenant. 
The new covenant isn't a lesser covenant. It is just different, which means we can't approach God however we want. There's an expectation of being a people for his own possession, that there's a certain way that we're supposed to live. It's the same with the marriage, that once I got married, I cannot continue to live in the marriage the way I did when I was single. If I did, then I am not fulfilling my vows to my spouse. See, we must now offer ourselves as that living sacrifice. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So let's talk about what a daily relationship with God looks like, lived out. See, first, we have to abide in God. John 15.4 verses 4 through 5 says, Abide in me and I in you as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, there's a closeness that we miss when we live our lives separate from God or separate from the way that he has called us to live our lives. See, once we receive that indwelling of God's presence, our lives can't be the same which means the worshipful rhythms of our lives can't be the same either. That once we have entered into that covenant relationship with God, there's an expectation that our lives are lived differently in light of our new agreement with God. It is no longer just us worshiping. When we have that indwelling of God's presence in us, it is the Holy Spirit responding to the Father through us, not just our lives. So it's not just us anymore. There is an indwelling of God's presence and spirit in us now that we are believers that there is no separation between us and God's presence, but Jesus sent the Holy Spirit that we now can be filled with the Spirit, but our lives have to change so drastically because it is not just us living, but the Holy Spirit living in us and responding to the Father through us. See, we abide in Him by the way we spend time with Him. You know, how you start your day often determines how you finish it. And there's always time to change throughout the day, but when you start it right, it keeps you on course. Let God be part of every part of your day, not simply a check mark on our list that we do. See, if we don't find a way to let the majesty and grandeur of who God is, the awe of our creator transform how we live, if we don't let the gravity of that indwelling of his spirit change us, that we are welcomed into his presence in, a, in the presence of the powerful creator, then our worship is hollow. It is just an empty shell. It is just lip service if we don't let the gravity and the the majesty of our creator sink in deep into our souls, that this isn't just something we casually do, but we get to worship the creator. So what are we supposed to do each day? As we've been looking at rhythms in our series, we are to spend time praying, bringing ourselves to walk with him in consistency. We also don't enter to worship the way that we wish. But see, if we can't worship the way that we wish, then we've got to look at what worship is. See, worship begins with the recognition of God's worth, as we see in Psalms 103. See, worship means worthiness of an individual to receive special honor in accordance with that worth. See, we need to begin by seeking Jesus and declaring his worth. Much like Jesus taught us to pray, we have to acknowledge his kingship over our lives. We have to acknowledge his rule over our lives. As Pastor Kathleen a couple weeks ago broke down the Lord's Prayer. Worship is showing honor to God. See, the Old Testament word for this is shakah, which literally means to show honor or bowing down before God. 
Psalms 95.6 says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 66, verse 4, And all the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. See, worship is expressing our love to God. Without losing our respect for God, worship is an expression of our adoration and our love and excitement of being with God that we have access to the creator of the universe. See, a worshiper is to come in singing and dancing and lifting hands. We are to come in joyfully, not because we feel like it, but because that is what we have agreed that we will do. We see throughout scripture that there are expected ways that we come into God's presence, that we come in as instructed joyfully as well as submitted. So we are directed by the word to express our adoration to God in a corporate setting. See, if we pick and choose how we enter God's presence, rather than following God's scriptural commands for how we are to enter his presence, one of two things is going to happen. Either the worshiper, either we are passive and not engaging, which in itself is the complete opposite of the definition of worship, or if we're not able to sing or dance or bow, then we believe that we are exempt from worship. However, Robert Webber says this, The church does not cease to sing when the mute are present, nor does it disallow musical instruments and choirs because not everyone can sing. Certainly it does not ban the lifting of hands and praise for the sake of the arthritics who may be in the congregation, or the reading of scripture for the sake of excluding the blind or kneeling because the handicapped are present. See, it doesn't matter how we feel or what we are physically capable of. We are commanded to enter into God's presence. That's why we have multiple aspects of our outward expression of worship to God. We are told to enter his presence with thanksgiving and joy and singing. It doesn't matter if you can sing. It doesn't matter if you can see. It doesn't matter if you can't stand. We are still to enter with joy and thanksgiving and then express how we are able to within those confines and instructions that God gives us. In Romans 12:1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. See, we need to look at this, how the sacrifices were in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice was supposed to be unblemished. They were supposed to be perfect, so we had to, the person had to go in to their flock or someone else's flock if they didn't have one and find an unblemished, perfect lamb or goat take it to the temple, and it had to be prepared. It was a process to find the right animal for the sacrifice, to go to the tabernacle or travel to the temple in later Old Testament times, to go through the process of the killing of the animal and the sprinkling of blood and all the other aspects of the purification ceremonies that were written in the law. See, the Old Testament sacrifices cost the people something. It was costly of your time, your money, your livestock, there was an effort of time of travel and wear and tear on the clothes and the body. There, it costs us something. See, worship that doesn't cost us something isn't worship. So if we are supposed to be the living sacrifice to God, then we have to now bring ourselves in preparedness. See, Jesus died so that we didn't have to do those killing of the animals. But now we are the living sacrifice. We are the ones in relationship with him. See, God's people are supposed to enter into worship service with an attitude of submission, understanding that while the worshiper has the freedom to express his or her worship to God, they must do it so following God's instructions in Scripture. Sorensen Kierkegaard says this, The reason churches are dead around the world is that people think of the minister and the worship team and the choir or whatever as the performers, and the congregation is the audience. But see, the biblical congregation is the performer and God is the audience. Let's put it like this, that we can come as we are, 
but we can't come how we want. That God doesn't expect us to have it all together or to be perfect. He invites us into his presence in whatever state we are in, but we have to come how he wants. We must humbly accept that God has already outlined the acceptable expressions of worship and how we are to come before him with awe and reverence and respect and joyfully with singing and thanksgiving. The Greek word for worshipers used is proskuneo, the compound word from pros meaning towards, while the other means kuneo means to kiss. See, together it expresses submissive lowliness and deep respect that we are drawing near respectfully and honorably close enough to kiss. And see, if God is seeking those that are drawing close enough to kiss him, then we must do it with submission to his lordship and instruction for worship. That just because we have access to his presence, that he welcomes us in, that we can now stand before him, stand in his presence, washed in the blood of Jesus, doesn't mean that it's any less serious of an event. Just because we are not under the rule of a king rather than a president, that going before the king or queen of England would be a massive, massive honor. That we would show up in our nice, best dress. We would show up ready and honoring and respectful that there is an expectation that we would submit to how it's supposed to be done. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It's not just a matter that we hear them. It's that we know his voice and he knows us and we follow him. Are we drawing close enough to God to kiss See, all the rhythms that we have been looking at in Scripture culminate into a rhythm of worship. It's a life lived out in worship to God. John 4, 23 through 24 describes the kind of worshipers God's seeking. Verse 23 says, But the hour is coming and has now, is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. See, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. See, our lives are to bring glory to God. A surrendered life is the sacrifice brought before him in glory. That how we prepare ourselves to worship God, how we prepare ourselves as a living sacrifice, is our surrender to him and to his ways of how we are to live our lives. See, we can't buy God's redemption by bringing a sacrifice into the temple and then go and worship other gods, whether those gods are our, our idols, our schedules, priorities, celebrities, doesn't matter what it is. See, when Jesus came, he made it clear that worship is not simply a form of worship, but that we are, it is an attitude of the individual, and we are part of that equation. But as we're looking as, at, a, at how we are to surrender, let's look at some biblical examples of people who surrendered. See, David is a fabulous example. He had a very messed up life. He had a whole lot of mistakes. He did a whole lot of things, but the rhythm of his life was continual surrender. Psalms 106 verses 1 through 3 says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are those who serve, who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Psalms 47, 1 through 4, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the most high, is to be feared, a great king over all of the earth. He subdued the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. The best example of surrender is Jesus. See, we can do nothing without God, and even Jesus understood this. Luke 5, 15 through 16 says, But now even more, the report about him went abroad, 
And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Mark 6, 45 through 46 says, And raising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out into desolate places and prayed. See, Jesus spent time with the Father. He knew the Father and was able to discern the Father's voice on a regular basis because he went away to pray. He was out. He did the things he had to do. He ate. He went to parties. He hung out with people. But he also knew that part of his worship, part of his submission to God was to spend time with him. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but yours. Jesus knew he was about to be arrested and sent to the cross. And his response was, I don't want this. If there's any way this can ha happen, please let it happen a different way. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now we're going to look at an example of how not to surrender. See, Jonah did it very grumbling and begrudgingly. See, we all know the, the beginning story of Jonah. God told him to go to Nineveh and proclaim that the city was going to be destroyed if they didn't turn their, change their ways. And what did Jonah do? He ran away. The boat carrying him got caught in a storm because God sent the storm to get Jonah back on track. Jonah realized that he was not going to happen, so they, he jumped overboard. They threw him overboard. The fish swallowed him. We know the story of Jonah. But we're going to look at this afterwards, after the fish spat Jonah up, after Jonah repented to God and decided that he was going to obey God's calling. Jonah goes to Nineveh, proclaims that the city is going to be destroyed, and then God, instead of destroying the city like Jonah wanted because these people were evil, the people actually repented, complete repentance, and surrendered to God. See, but when the people repented and God relented, this angered Jonah. He was, so, he was displeased and angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. See, Jonah finally listened to God and did what God asked, but he didn't do it with the right attitude. He didn't do it with the right heart. See, the problem is, is we adapt all these principles of rhythms, all of these various rhythms that we've been talking about, and we adapt them to our lives rather than adapting our lives to the rhythms. And here's the big takeaway for today. If you haven't listened to anything else, listen to this, dear ones. That is not surrender. Just as partial disobedience is still disobedience, we are either surrendered or we are not. See, reading isn't enough. Coming to church isn't enough. We need a complete surrender of our lives to the Almighty. See, we are to take humble postures. See, my encouragement and challenge for you is start taking five minutes daily. That every single day, get in a quiet place before the Lord with no singing, no reading, no, no distractions. Just you and the Lord. And pray Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 over your life. And let God lead you, lead you as you surrender your day. See, we need to quit trying to do things the way that we want. Taking scriptures that we like and leaving the other parts that we don't like. We need to take it all and let it transform our lives in complete surrender. See, the real danger is that we become like the church in Laodicea in Revelation, where it says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you be either, either be hot nor cold. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. See, if we are not completely surrendered, this is the result. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, a life of worship and adoration and uh, surrender to God is surrendering to his rhythms, not using those rhythms to, to be worked into our lives and we pick and choose what we like to do or what, how we think we want to do it, but in complete surrender. A biblical rhythm is a life of worship that is an overflow of our relationship with God, that where we come together on Sunday mornings and we dance and we sing and is an overflow of that rhythm of our lives consistent with biblical standards. I can encourage you to be completely surrendered to God, wholly surrendered, giving all of yourself as a living sacrifice. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have opened up your relationship with us, that by the sacrifice of Jesus, we are restored to you and we are welcomed into your presence. But God, may we remember that we have to come humbly surrendering to you. The good parts, the bad parts, and everything in between God, may we not be a people that is lukewarm, but a people that is completely surrendered to you. Allowing your scripture to shape our lives, allowing your presence and your spirit to shape our lives, rather than working the standards and the biblical scriptures into our lives, may our lives be consumed. May we hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. God, we love you and we surrender to you. Wherever we are watching this, we give you all of our lives and say have complete control. We love you, God. Amen and amen. Mm -hmm.